If you'd turn with me to the Word of God, it's on page 22 in your bulletin, uh, that we're reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. This is the inerrant Word of God. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Father in heaven, we pray that we would have hearts set on pleasing you and minds ready to hear your precious word. Lord, enable us through your precious spirit now to understand and a desire to apply it. We come now as your children in need of guidance and in need of truth, and we commit ourselves to you, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I believe most of you have heard the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. And during that time, there were many German pastors who did not stand, at least boldly not stand, against Nazism and against Hitler and all the atrocities of their time. And uh, they did basically what was expedient uh, or safe uh, or pleasing maybe to uh, men in power. And rather than stand firm and speak out against those atrocities of Nazism and please the Lord in doing so, they, many of them caved in to please men. Now Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, did stand up and he spoke against this and he also took action actually. He uh, was uh, caught in an attempt to, uh, with others to assassinate Hitler and he was killed. But there was another pastor, maybe you don't know this name, Martin Niemöller. He had the same situation. He's in the same church. And he waffled some. He waffled in standing up against uh, those things which were displeasing to the Lord. But later he stood up against some of the atrocities. He uh, spoke up and he did suffer uh, some for that. But he's remembered for this quote. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, they meaning the state, the, uh, the uh, Hitler. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Well, in trying times, and even when things seem to be going fairly smoothly, we are all tempted to act and to speak as people pleasers, when we should be walking in our desire to please God. We are by nature, brothers and sisters, protectors of ourselves and avoiders of discomfort. We want the approval of others way too much, and we fear what others may think of us way too much. And we don't think maybe about the cost of displeasing others like Niemöller on ourselves and others. There are others impacted by that. Well, our text here in 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, has been on my mind for years, frankly. I have struggled with 
uh, this, been convicted by God's gracious mercy and forgiven. And I still struggle with it. <clears throat> but it was impressed upon me again because we are studying with the uh, young men and, and the father, many of the fathers are joining in this. We're studying 1 Thessalonians. T- uh, we're just up to chapter 2. And in the, in the midst of that study, some of them shared some very astute things. And I was blessed to hear them share on this topic, on pleasing men. They don't want to be man-pleasers. Praise God. And uh, we didn't go over this passage in detail. Um, so one of the young men said, well, why don't you just develop a sermon on this? So here it is. And uh, I have organized this study, according to your notes that you have there, uh, according to uh, how Richard Baxter, he was a Puritan theologian back in the 1600s, basically how he did that, I thought it was very simple and clear. And uh, he, this is from his chapter called Christian Ethics in the uh, book called The Practical Works of Richard Baxter. First of all, pleasing God through the approval of the appropriate people. And then secondly, we'll look at the folly of pleasing man or rather uh, than pleasing God and some examples of people pleasers. And then we'll look at the advantages of pleasing God, of course, (coughs) and examples of God pleasers. And then finally, some signs of what it means like uh, when we are living to please him. What does a God pleaser look like and how do we please him? Well, first of all, in general, there are two sides to the unbiblical ways of being a man pleaser, a people pleaser. One is that we long for the approval or the favor of others more than of God, more than God's approval. We long for it. And then the other one is that we fear the displeasure of people more than God. People pleasers basically love the wrong thing. They love the approval of man rather than God. And people pleasers fear the wrong thing. They fear the disapproval of man rather than the disapproval of God. Now, Lou Priolo, in his book uh, titled Pleasing People, How Not to Be an Approval Junkie, I thought that was an interesting subtitle, How Not to Be an Approval Junkie, said, For the people pleaser, love of man's approval is accompanied by the flip side of the coin, the fear of losing someone's approval, or respect, or favorable opinion, or the fear of being rejected, or sometimes even the fear of conflict, any kind of conflict. He said, The love of man's approval is inextricably bound to the fear of man's disapproval. So essentially, this is to make idols of people. We're making idols of people if we uh, are going in that direction. And the first thought I had of that when I thought of idolatry in this case was modern politics. Modern politics came to my mind and uh, probably because of this week and what is going on, but really probably in all of history, uh, I got to thinking about it. Well, what's a, a simple definition of politics? It would be the art of pleasing as many people as possible. They're trying to please and many of the wrong people. For many people, and sadly, uh, some Christians also, the state has become an idol, and we should thus pray for Christians who are in that realm, who daily face, I believe, tremendous pressure to please the wrong people. And we should continue to pray that God will raise up people to be in that tough environment. And we are each of us tempted to please uh, people in certain ways, under certain circumstances. So we need to be on guard ourselves, in those cases especially, and pray that we would stand in faith to please God when our flesh wants to please others out of fear or maybe just because we want approval. We need approval, we think. So first of all, pleasing God through the approval of the appropriate people. 
In other words, there are ways that we can please God by pleasing others. Baxter had an interesting section on this. It was his first one, and he made a strong point. He said, uh, we can't go too far the wrong way in this discussion uh, on not pleasing um, God. Don't go to the opposite extreme is basically what he was saying. There are appropriate ways, God-pleasing ways, to please or to seek the approval of the right people. For example, in Colossians 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Very clear. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. By gaining the approval of their parents, uh, children are pleasing the Lord. They're keeping the fifth commandment. Uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. According to Ephesians 5. And husbands, love your wives. Citizens, of course. We're citizens here and citizens of heaven. And so while the state is growing in tyrannical behavior and control, yet there are always uh, ways, there are ways that we can and we should honor the Lord, even as we bring the law of God to bear upon their disobedience. And then there's church members. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do that with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So by submission to appropriate uh, church leaders, we can rightly be pleasing God uh, if we submit to God-given authority as unto him, as submitting to him. So, and then there's employers to employ, employees to employers, or uh, for the self-employed, your customers. Colossians 3 says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. So by working for others, we may rightly be honoring the Lord and pleasing Him if we do so with sincerity of heart, as pleasing the Lord and according to His will. So we don't want to go to an extreme or say or think that gaining the approval of some people is always wrong or that we can't be submissive or pleasing uh, to others because it automatically displeases God or makes us people pleaser. So we shouldn't go that far. But it is true that the natural inclination of our sinful hearts is to protect ourselves and to promote ourselves. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt or desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So we have to be careful of our slippery hearts. Who can understand it? We cannot without the word of God coming to bear in our lives through the Spirit. So we protect ourselves, we promote ourselves uh, by pleasing others or maybe by fearing others in ways that are idolatrous, and that displeases our master. Well, secondly, the folly of being people pleasers. So let's look at a few examples of people pleasers in the scriptures. First of all, there was Saul, the man pleaser, before he was Paul, the God pleaser. In Galatians 1, uh, he wrote, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. So he said, I advanced. He was climbing the ladder. I advanced, and he was very zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He was very busy advancing. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he had convinced himself that he was pleasing God by keeping the rules of men, by seeking the approval of the Pharisees, those above him. And through his folly, as a man pleaser, many saints were persecuted and many were killed. And then there's Peter. And before the crucifixion and resurrection, he had his own agenda. 
when the Lord told the disciples as they were walking that he would be crucified, Peter said, no, I, he didn't want that. That was not on his agenda. And Peter denied that he knew the Lord three times, of course, in fear of, at least partially, in fear of the people gathered around the fire in the high priest's courtyard that night. But by the mercy and the forgiveness of the Lord, he certainly served faithfully, and he ended his life as a God-pleaser. But uh, there are many, uh, the preponderance of the Lord's uh, speaking uh, about how dishonoring man-pleasing is uh, was about the Pharisees uh, and the scribes and the rulers. They were the consummate people-pleasers. In John 12, it says, Even among the rulers, many believed in him, believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And you know, they were quite afraid because uh, they were afraid of losing their reputation. They were afraid of losing their material gain. And many of them were wealthy. They were rich. And they were fearful of losing their privilege. And they had a lot of privileges. And their love of those things was more important to them than the love of the Lord, by whom they'd just seen a miracle. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead, and yet they're thinking of their reputation, their material gain, and their, and their privileges. And so for too long, they put their hope and their security in their position and how others looked at them, so they didn't even recognize the one whom they should have been looking for and serving. Jesus said of them in Matthew 23, but all their works they do to be seen by men. All their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad. Now, phylacteries were uh, little uh, pouches made out of leather, and they would put them on their forehead. And uh, I read in the commentary that they started out kind of small. There's, little, there's scripture, a piece of scripture uh, written on some paper, and it was in there. So they wore these. They walked around with those. Uh, and symbolically, it's great meaning. You know, the word should be on the forefront of our mind. Uh, but they started getting bigger and bigger, and they got pretty big because they wanted to be noticed. So it says in the scriptures, they made... They make their phylacteries broad. Jesus was not saying that's good. They make their phylacteries broad and they enlarge the borders of their garments. And they had nice garments and nicer garments had borders. They not, but they not only had borders, they had wide borders. They wanted to be, they wanted to stand out. They wanted to please uh, get recognition. So it says, they love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So they were motivated by the recognition of others, by being known or acknowledged as above others, and that's the way they felt, basically, of anybody else. When in truth, God does not show partiality or favoritism. In Acts 10, Cornelius, <coughs> Peter said to Cornelius, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him or is acceptable, is pleasing to him. God pleases the fear of God and works righteousness and, and righteousness to be accepted by him. So we want to please him above all. And because the Lord hated this pride of the Pharisees and often spoke of uh, their man-pleasing ways, I'd like to focus uh, on Matthew 6. So if you'd open that, because I'm going to read a little bit lengthier part from that. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at three areas in which the Pharisees were focused on pleasing men and in which we are to please God rather than men. 
Matthew chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1. So this is the first way that the Pharisees were pointed out by the Lord for their uh, pleasing of men. Matthew 6. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. So the first area is in charitable deeds or good works. To be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So men pleasers may gain some fleeting reward, but not from the Lord. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may have glory from men. In other words, the favor of the approval of men. So they'd blow a trumpet to make sure everybody was watching them be spiritual. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed as a God-pleaser, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So God rewards those who do good to please him, not those who do so to be seen by others or, or have glory from men. The second example, verse 5, and when you pray, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. So hypocrites are men-pleasers who speak for man's praise but do not act to please God. So he says, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. So they'd stand on the corner of the street because that was the place to be noticed. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And that was it. They got noticed on the street. But you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He will be pleased. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. So the Lord is pleased when we pray to him, not to be seen as spiritual by others. And so we must pray in secret to him, which doesn't, of course, mean we can't pray publicly, but we must guard against pride, especially at that time. And pride can come out in being showy uh, or using a lot of words. But Jesus said, therefore, do not be like them. Verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, so good works, prayer, and now fasting. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, the men-pleasers, with a sad countenance. And I got to thinking, well, how does that look? You know, you know they're, they, they're, they, oh, I'm really hungry. You know, I don't know how that looks. But, uh, you know, they would disfigure their faces to gain attention again. And uh, it says, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. So maybe they weren't fasting, or maybe they were, but in any case, they wanted attention. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, if you want to be a God-pleaser, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So if you had dust on your head like they may have, you, you wash that off, you wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. So your fasting is unto him. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So we do good deeds, and we pray, and we fast, and we memorize scripture, and we learn the word, and we practice spiritual disciplines. We do those things to please the Lord, not to impress others, or to be approved by them. Spiritual pride, spiritual pride in myself for the approval of others I couldn't think of another word, so I just think it just grosses me out. It makes me, I, God forgives me, and he lovingly convicts me quickly about that. 
And I have no claim to doing anything good in myself or taking glory which belongs to God alone for what he has done in me or through me. And may God forgive me, may God forgive us for doing these good things for the approval of men. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Pleasing people to gain their favor rather than God's is like trying to serve two masters. It cannot be done. And after the Lord said this, uh, it's recorded in uh, another of the Gospels in Luke. It says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things that he just said. You cannot serve God and mammon. So they heard that, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And may the Lord keep us from living for what is highly esteemed among men, because those things are an abomination in the sight of God and are very displeasing to him. Well, let's look now, uh, thirdly, at examples of God-pleasers, some of the uh, advantages and blessings, and actually, too, some of the uh, temporal costs of pleasing God. And I like giving examples a lot, uh, because, uh, and I read this in Matthew Henry uh, just the other day, good examples either convert sinners or condemn them. So here you go. Some good examples. First of all, the apostles, Acts chapter 4, so they, that is the rulers of the Sanhedrin, so they called them, that is the apostles, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So they brought them there. Peter and John answered boldly, said to them, well, there is, it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Okay, they, weren't, they knew they were in danger. Uh, they did not seek to please those men. But the rulers feared the people at that time, so they let them go. But, and then later on in Acts chapter 5, <clears throat> it says, But Peter and the other apostles answered again to the leaders, and they said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. That was not a statement by men pleasers. Whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God is highly exalt- has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And that caused them to get very angry. But they they were bold. And may God give us boldness and keep us from the fear of man. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I found a list of the apostles and the way that they ended their lives as far as we know. Matthew was slain with a sword in a city of Ethiopia. Mark died in Alexandria in northern Egypt after having been cruelly dragged through the streets of that city. Luke was hung up on an olive tree in the land of Greece, left there. John was banished to the island of Patmos. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less, that's what he's called in uh, Mark 15. James the Less was thrown from a pinnacle of the temple. Philip was hung up against a pillar at Hierapolis in the province of Phrygia. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross and left to die. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias, that's the apostle whom, uh, who was chosen to replace Judas. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas was stoned to death by the Jews at Salonica. Paul, after a variety of tortures and imprisonments, was finally beheaded in Rome. Thomas was run through the body with a spear. This is in East India. 
Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. They did not die as men pleasers. They, as our martyred brothers and sisters, pleased God by being faithful in proclaiming the gospel of life in Christ to the very end. If they had been motivated by pleasing men, they would have said like Paul, if I was still trying to please men, they wouldn't have suffered that way. they, They wouldn't have suffered and died as a servant of Christ. And may he give us grace, brothers and sisters, to do the same when we are called to suffer temporal trials. Now, I referred earlier to Saul the man-pleaser, but in Galatians Galatians chapter 1, we see one of the many ways that Paul the apostle was certainly not a man-pleaser. If you would turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, I'll read a few verses from that. So Paul was here basically accused of pleasing himself in the way that he was communicating the gospel for for gain, basically for uh, personal gain. In Galatians 1, Verses 8 and 9, these are statements uh, not made by a man pleaser. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. The Greek word is anathema. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Very strong. Basically saying, let him be, be given over to God for judgment. And one commentary I read said, the vehemence of Paul's language here was enough to show clearly that he was anything but one who suited his preaching to the whims and the desires of his hearers. So preaching to the whims and desires of his hearers was not Paul nor the apostles after the resurrection and the filling of the Spirit at Pentecost until the day they died. And it goes on in verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1. For I, do I now persuade men or God? And like the ESV, uh, it's a little clear it seems, Am I now seeking the approval of man? Paul asked. Or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul said to the Corinthian church, we make it our aim, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, to Jesus. It's our aim to always be well-pleasing. He was always striving to please God, whether he was with them in person or he was absent from them and, and with, was to be with the Lord. His aim, his goal was to always please the Lord and it always will be to please the Lord. Please the Lord. Now in the text we read from 1 Thessalonians, we see again that Paul was not seeking uh, approval above God's. Uh, it, re- it says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul was defending himself against claims by the Jews, by the Judaizers, that he was communicating the gospel in his own way for, for his own benefit and his own gain. He was accused by those who themselves were acting to please men and for their own benefit. But Paul knew he was approved and he he was called by God to speak the gospel of grace in Christ alone. And so he spoke as pleasing God and God, he knew that God knew his heart in the matter. He didn't use flattering words, which by the way, is a very common way to please uh, others. He didn't try to hide his true intentions like hiding something uh, in a cloak, with a cloak. He wasn't coveting anything that they had. He wasn't trying to get anything from them as he was accused of. He didn't serve for personal gain. He, he was not serving to please himself. 
And there are many other examples in the word. Here are just a few. Enoch, in uh, Hebrews 11, he, it says Enoch was taken by God because he pleased God by his faith. Uh, he walked with God, which in the Septuagint, turns out, is basically synonymous with he pleased God. He walked with God. He pleased God. And Noah, of course, was ridiculed for building something uh, those around him just thought was foolish, unnecessary. Uh, the Hebrew midwives, they were told to kill all the uh, males at birth, but they feared God rather than Pharaoh, so they didn't do that. Jeremiah the prophet said a lot of things that people didn't want to hear, and he suffered much for pleasing God rather than saying what others wanted to hear or telling people what they wanted him to say. The Lord said to him in Jeremiah 1, They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. This is the promise, I believe, that those who choose to suffer for obeying God rather than pleasing people, it's a great promise to claim. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, obeyed God rather than Nebuchadnezzar uh, when, uh, he, regarding what they ate and how they prayed and when they prayed. Stephen, the martyr, spoke boldly. This is what he said just before they got angry and took him out and stoned him in Acts chapter 7. So he had had the long, uh, he had been talking for quite a while, but he ended in this way. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Not a statement by a man pleaser. And Jesus, of course, is our ultimate example in pleasing God. The Lord shared this with the crowds who were following him. This is from his father. In, from Isaiah 42, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. And then when Jesus was baptized by John, in Luke chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And then Jesus said to the Pharisees and the rulers in John 8, He who sent me is with me, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. So in the flesh, Jesus always did what was pleasing to his Father in heaven. He is our example. Romans 15, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He bore the reproaches of men to please his Father in heaven. So our Lord made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, and he came in the likeness of men. Therefore, God highly exalted him, according to Philippians 2, and gave him the name which is above every name. Jesus is our example. Well, he's our example. How can we please God rather than men? Well, first of all, before we go through these, uh, li this short list quickly, uh, to me it's amazing. It's incomprehensible, really, that we can please God at all. It's all by his grace and through his Son that we are acceptable to our Heavenly Father, and we can act in ways now that please Him, as imperfect as those actions and those thoughts may still be. So first of all, we please God by confidence in His call. We trust in His protection. Proverbs 29, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So the fear of man is a huge snare 
and trips up many Christians and drives them to be people pleasers. It's when we trust in the Lord that we are kept safe, not when we fear man. In Galatians 1, Paul said, It pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me. So Paul went forward by faith that he was called by God, and so he didn't fear man. He didn't fear those whom he formerly tried to please and who are now trying to kill him. And we also, brothers and sisters, must go forward no matter what we face, knowing we are called by his grace to be his servants, to be his stewards, and to be his adopted sons and daughters, and to be his soldiers, like uh, we were reminded last week from Second Timothy. Rodney shared that. We are to please him who enlisted us as a soldier. First of all, we are to please him first. And, and again, uh, you know, Jim Elliott wanted his AUG degree, his approved unto God degree, more than a bachelor's degree, more than the approval of men, or more than the approval of women. Um, that verse, 1 Timothy 2.15, says, Be diligent to present yourself approved unto God. Well, secondly, this confidence in his calling is by faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 5, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. In Genesis 5, it says he walked with God. We don't know, or I don't know exactly uh, what all the actions of faith Enoch did, but he was a man of faith. He believed in the coming judgment of the Lord, according to Jude chapter 1, and so he pleased God by his faith. He was well-pleasing to God. Verse 6, probably the key verse for us today, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So as we talk about ways in which we can please God, it's, it's also clear that any action uh, not done by faith is not pleasing to him. It's impossible to please God without faith. So we should trust in him and his promises and not in ourselves. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, the most self-sacrificing and most heroic deeds whenever they have been performed from any other motive than that of pleasing God and without confidence or faith in God, have remained outside of his acceptance. They weren't acceptable. They weren't pleasing to him. So the Lord said to the many who were following him in John 6, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he, the Father, has sent. Because they had asked him, well, what is the work of God? He said, well, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, believe in me, that you believe in him who he sent. The Lord is pleased when we believe in him, which we can only do because he gave the gift of faith for us to believe and the power of the Spirit to continue to grow in faith by his grace. And regarding grace, I was reviewing uh, Jerry Bridges' book, The Discipline of Grace, this week. And <clears throat> one of the most important statements of that book was this, related to grace. Our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. Our worst days are never so bad that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. And our best days are never so good that we are beyond the need of God's grace. We desperately need to rejoice in and live by the grace of God. And we please God by faith because, only because of his grace. Moving on, we please God by fearing him. This week, or I think it was this week, maybe last week, Peter Hammond sent an email um, and it listed 10 things that he felt is undermining the church today. First one was prayerlessness. Second one was neglect of the word of God. The third one was 
a lack of the fear of God. In other words, the fear of man. Psalm 147, 10 and 11, he does not, God does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. God is not pleased by our attempts, brothers and sisters, at being strong, but by our fear of him who has all strength and by our hope in his mercy. Going on, we please God by walking in the Spirit, Ephesians 5, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable or pleasing to him. So the command, it's a command that we're to continue finding out what is acceptable and pleasing to God. We're to continually work to find out what pleases him and then grow in conformity to his will. And we find out more and more how to please the Lord, of course, as we are saturated in the word of God. Again, as Rodney shared last week, um, we should be in the word of God continuously. We should read all of the word of God and continue to do that. So the opposite of walking in the spirit is to walk in the flesh. In Romans 8, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, unbelievers do not please God, nor believers who are not walking according to the Spirit, who are not finding out uh, in his word what pleases him. And Rodney exhorted us again about that. We have to be in the word of God to be able to find out what pleases him. If we think or act according to the desires of the flesh rather than the word of God, uh, understood and applied by the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot please him. Going on, we please God by obedience from the heart. 1 Samuel 15. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So obedience from the heart pleases God, not just outward conformity to be seen by others. Now, one of those areas which we're called to obey, we all know about, is the Great Commission. And Daniel, Nor and I have been meeting for several weeks now, uh, going over the Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And in the chapter on selection, this is on how the Lord chose his disciples, he said, one must decide where he wants his ministry to count in the momentary applause of popular recognition or in the reproduction of his life in a few chosen men or children who will carry on his work after he's gone. Really, it is a question of which generation are we living for? And I believe that those who are seeking to please God rather than men are content to work knowing that their labor may not be seen at all by men. It may not be recognized, but it will yield great fruit in the future and glorify the name of God. So few people may applaud us if we have that kind of ministry or recognize us uh, or even notice us for this labor, this ministry that we're called to, but the Lord will. So they will receive their reward from him because they sought to please, uh, did not seek to please the Lord. So we please God, going on, by serving and giving. Hebrews 13, do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. He is pleased with those kind of sacrifices. In Philippians 4, Paul said to the Philippians, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. 
So giving is an acceptable sacrifice, a pleasing aroma. And in both verses, it said that the Lord is well pleased by our sacrificial service and by our giving. And my only question would be, brothers and sisters, for you to consider, are you serving and are you giving to please him? Well, finally, doing, by doing all our labels, labors with a humble, sincere heart as to the Lord. This is another key reference regarding uh, pleasing God. Colossians chapter 3. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So when we work for our employers or for those who hired us or for our parents, we must remember we are serving the Lord our master. And so we should not just serve well when being seen, but we should serve and work with sincerity of heart as to the Lord, fearing God who sees how we work. We are called to work heartily as if the Lord was our, our employer, as to him, and not just as we would uh, for those who are watching us to please them. Our standard for quality in our work is as to the Lord, and he desires all that we do to be done skillfully and with a heart set on pleasing him as living sacrifices. He isn't expecting perfection, uh, but he does desire a heart set on doing all things to please him. So may the Lord keep us from outwardly rendering eye service to be seen by men, to be approved by them, rather than rendering service from the heart to be approved by God. Ephesians 6, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. All you do in study, in work, is as a servant of the Most High God, and doing it poorly does not please him or reflect well on our master. Uh, I was also skimming through the practice of the presence of God. I think Phil's mentioned that many times. It's a, a small devotional. Brother Lawrence wrote this. It's, uh, most of it's from the 17th century. He was a monk, and he worked in the kitchen most of his life, 40-some years anyway. Uh, he washed pots with a loving heart as to the Lord. Now, it was a mundane task, uh, little to no uh, outward recognition by men. He, just sat, he washed dishes all the time. He said uh, that the most excellent method of going to God was that of doing our common or our ordinary business as, as far as we are capable, purely for the love of God. And so he spent 40 years basically doing the same menial, or the world would say menial, mundane task with the goal to be always with God and to do nothing, do nothing, say nothing, and think nothing which may displease him, and this without any other view than purely for the love of him and because he deserves infinitely more. Well, I'd like to conclude with a prayer request. Would you, brothers and sisters, I know you do, but would you pray specifically for your elders and the elders in the CPC and the church officers? In a recent article, uh, titled The Failure of the American Pulpit. This is by Joel McDermott in American Vision. Uh, last week, I would highly recommend going and seeing the series there. But he had a quote from A.W. Pink. The great enemy of God and man, the devil, has ever sought to move or corrupt leaders, both civil and religious, so to temper things to the depraved inclinations and popular opinions of the people that true piety may be overthrown. 
But the servants of Christ shun not to declare all the counsel of God, no matter how distasteful and displeasing it may be to the natural man. They dare not corrupt the truth, capital T, and refuse to withhold any part of their God-given message to glorify their master and be faithful to the trust he has committed to them is their only concern. May that be so. Fellow citizens, citizens of heaven, if our nation, if our government makes speaking the truth a crime, if they make speaking against the uh, atrocities of abortion or anything, it's speaking against the depravity of same-sex marriage and homosexuality, if they make that a crime, if they say that speaking about any of God's law is a crime, for example, the death penalty, may our elders, may your elders and all of us be bold and speak against all that is against the Lord and against his word. If we do not speak the truth of all the word of God as it applies to all areas of life and please God rather than men, by doing so, they might come for us someday, like the German government did for Martin Niemöller, and they may be few to speak for us. So may your elders and all called by God say with Paul, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that by your grace we can live to please you. And we pray that we would more and more delight in doing so and not be enslaved by seeking the approval of people rather than obeying you. And Lord, whatever we do, may it be done heartily as to you and not to men, knowing that we will receive our reward from you. And Lord, make us complete in every good work to do your will. Work in us what is well-pleasing in your sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.